Welcome to Series 3 of You Heard It Here First, the podcast that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'll be bringing you honest opinions about the books, podcasts, dramas, and interviews that you can get a hold of right now on Audible. Over the last two series, we've talked about loads of amazing titles from Corrupt Bodies to Alan Partridge's podcast from The Oast House and I can't wait to share more with you. We'll be kicking things off with reviews of new releases to help you impress all your friends, and I'll be sharing my favorite stories that you might have missed. Plus, in every episode, I'll be joined by an Audible editor and a special guest who are eager to share the listens that have them hooked. And we'll also be hearing from some well-known authors and presenters via our sister podcast, Audible Sessions, a show that interviews some of the authors behind your favorite books. And that's not all. We want to hear from you too. At the end of the show, we'll give you the chance to be on the podcast sharing your favorite book with all of our lovely listeners. Just sit back and enjoy as we go through them one by one to help you find your next great listen. First up is our featured customer review, where we highlight some of your feedback from the Audible website. This series, we're bringing you two reviews for the same book, so you can decide if it's worth your prized Audible credit. This week's review is for Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Our first review comes from Jay Martin, who left this five-star review on Audible's website. Hearty, happy, honest, and a hell of a read. McConaughey likes lists. I found I loved the way he listed. He narrates with gusto. His Texan drawl is perfect. He made me laugh out loud. He chatted, he charmed, he stepped right into my sitting room and I learned a thing or two about him, about life and about living. Never, ever have I enjoyed an autobiography so much. Okay, this was glowing. Let's hear this four-star review from Laura Orr. Waffle and wisdom. A mix of real waffle and real wisdom. Although it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Best enjoyed with a buttery Chardonnay and an outdoor fire on a sunny evening. Thank you, Jay Martin and Laura Orr, for those reviews of Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. You can find it on Audible. Each week, we'll be picking out different reviews from Audible's website to see what you've been loving. So keep listening and you might find your own review here. Up next is our featured new release. This is a brand spanking new audiobook that I've been loving and I can't wait to share with you. And this week, I've chosen You Are a Champion by Marcus Rashford and Carl Anker, narrated by Kenton Thomas. Chances are you might have heard of Marcus Rashford either for his football skills with Manchester United or for non-footy fans like me through his free school meals campaign during the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, he's even topped the Sunday Times giving list after raising £20 million to tackle food poverty with the charity Fair Share. Now, when I started this book, I must confess I really thought it was going to be an autobiography. But it's not. I was only slightly disappointed when I found out You Are a Champion is actually a self-help book targeted at teens and young adults. This is definitely a family-friendly read. If you've got kids aged 16 and under who are finding life a bit tough, this is the pep talk they need. I can definitely imagine parents coming into their kids' room to comfort them and asking their Alexa to play You Are a Champion. I honestly wish I had this book when I was stressing out about my GCSEs and thought my whole world was ending. 
Rashford, with the help of writer and journalist Carl Anker, uses anecdotes from his personal and professional life to give important life lessons, like practicing your skills, finding and cherishing your friendships, and overcoming adversity. Each chapter ends with a list of action points for you to do. Some are simple questions to answer, and others are journal prompts. I listened while on the go, so unfortunately, I didn't sit down and do the actions, but they did make me think. The book is a little repetitive considering it's just two hours and 45 minutes, but it's important to say that it doesn't take away from it. Instead, I think it seemed intentional. They do say repetition is the key to retaining what you learned. One of the strengths of the book is Rashford's use of real-life anecdotes. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing about his struggles to learn a new football skill, dealing with racism in the sport, or navigating tricky school subjects. One of my favourite stories comes in Chapter 5, Navigate Adversity. Let's have a listen. I want to tell you a little bit about my nana. Nana Cillian was one of the most amazing people I've ever met. I was really close with her when I was growing up. Every morning, after nana woke up, she would turn the kettle on, put something in the slow cooker for dinner, and then start making cornmeal porridge. And this porridge was amazing. It didn't matter what day of the week or what time of the day it was. I'd have eaten that corn porridge all day. Most of the time when I asked, she'd tell me I couldn't have it, which is odd, right? I used to think the main reason was because it took so long to make. Nana was a busy woman, and looking back, me asking for porridge all of the time was probably really annoying for her. But one day, she sat me down and told me her reasoning. If you keep asking for the same thing from the same person, you have a lot less chance of getting it. If you ask the same thing to loads of different people, you're more likely to get what you're asking for. Her explanation was about more than feeding me when I was hungry. It was her way of teaching me how to problem solve. I remember being obsessed with my grandma's cornmeal porridge too. And like Rashford, I never asked for the recipe. Overall, he's done an excellent job of being humble and letting his unassuming confidence shine through, which makes him utterly likeable. The narrator Kenton Thomas sounds just like him and is easy to listen to as well. You can find You Are a Champion by Marcus Rashford and Carl Anker on Audible. And if that's piqued your interest, but you're looking for a self-help book that's a little bit more grown up, see my glowing review of Marie Folio's Everything is Figureoutable in Series 1, Episode 10. Welcome to our Hidden Gems section of the show. This is where I recommend a book that might not be new, but is still a great listen. And the book I've chosen today is The Worldship Humility by sci-fi author R.R. Hayward. I picked this book because I don't listen to much sci-fi, so I wanted to give it a go and dive deep into a world that is far removed from our own. The Worldship Humility is the first book in the Code trilogy and has been written specifically for audio. It's very immersive and rich. You're thrown into a world 120 years from now, where a fraction of the human race are living in huge spaceships built shortly before Earth was hit by a meteor and destroyed. While in space, those in charge are still looking for a new planet to inhabit. Rumours circulate on the ship that a planet had been identified years ago, but it's been kept a secret by the upper classes who want it for themselves. As you listen, you quickly get a sense that everything on the ship is finite, so nothing is wasted. For instance, when someone dies, their body is liquefied and turned into plant food. Creepy. And if that wasn't strange enough, instead of eating real food, they drink synthetic coffee and eat flavoured cubes. It's like a psychedelic retelling of a Black Mirror episode or an adult version of Guardians of the Galaxy, but without the aliens. What I loved about the book was how easy it was to follow the different narratives. Each story intertwines to build up to a bigger overarching plot. For example, there's Yasmin, a shoplifting hustler, and Sam, a shy hacker, who end up crossing paths and becoming unlikely friends. 
Then there's a detective with a sex addiction, plus a political representative to the lower-ranking people, as well as many others. It's a really random assortment of characters. Yasmin and Sam's worlds get turned upside down as they plan to make adventurous lives for themselves and end up in some messy situations. You'd think it would get confusing with so many characters coming in and out of the book, but the narrator Colin Morgan does such an incredible job that you can distinguish between every single character. I honestly don't know how he was able to create so many accents. What was great about the book was that it was more than just a sci-fi dystopian novel. It was also a thriller, an adventure and a comedy. Really, anyone can enjoy it. Friendships were put to the test, a political uprising was brewing, and funny moments were scattered throughout. It puts issues that we face on Earth, like capitalism, classism and politics, into space and shows how nothing has really changed. One thing I would say is the first half of the book is a bit of a slow burner. It's mainly dedicated to world building, but the description is what drew me in. You can really imagine the ship's layout and the advanced technology that Hayward has fought up especially the shantytown lower floors with people living in abject squalor with toxic chemicals raining down on them. Have a listen. She walks out onto level 40 and the very bowels of the ship where every inch of available space is used. An assault on the senses. A riot of noise and colour in a place that was never designed for human habitation. High ceilings, four and five metres in some places, giving room for homes to be stacked on top of each other with ladders, gantries and overhead walkways running everywhere. Clothes hanging, children running and screaming, everyone vaping, sucking on tubes filled with all flavours of liquids, and the plumes of exhaled vapour form clouds that roll on the underside of the overhead ceiling, adding to the condensation and humidity and the heat from human bodies. All those things and more serve to create a phenomena of rainfall within a spaceship. The only place in the entire fleet where it happens naturally. And it's disgusting. Vivid, right? Believe it or not, the author R.R. R. Hayward never reads the genre he's writing in. He just can't do it. Not zombies or dystopia or anything remotely like it. He worries there will be a weird subconscious cross-contamination of ideas. So it's amazing to think about how much of this he's come up with himself. Halfway through, the story really does pick up and the plot seems to quicken. I found myself racing to finish the audiobook to find out where Yasmin and Sam were going to end up. But, and I don't think this is a spoiler, you might find yourself disappointed with the ending, like I was. There wasn't really a resolution, but that is the nature of a trilogy, and I'm sure even more will unfold in the next two books. The Worldship Humility is definitely a book you need to pay all your attention to due to its complex storytelling. But if you're a fan of space and wondering what might happen to us in a couple hundred years from now, this is the book for you. You can find The Worldship Humility by R.R. Hayward on Audible now, alongside book two in the Code Trilogy. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one who loves recommending great new things to you. Joining me every week in the studio, there will be an editor from Audible and a very special guest to tell me about the books they've been enjoying. And this week, we're starting off with an interview I did with Audible editor Robin Morgan-Bentley. 
I began by asking him what he'd chosen for us today and why. It's definitely about something sad and mysterious that happens to a group of people. It's called The Lamplighters and it's by Emma Stonex. Nice. Can you tell us what the book is about? The Lamplighters is a fiction book, but based on a real thing that happened in a very remote part of Cornwall. And it all revolves around these three lighthouse keepers who vanish from a lighthouse, essentially. And when people come to try and investigate, all the doors are locked. It kind of looks like they've left in a hurry And it's all just a bit mysterious. Where have these three lighthouse keepers gone? And so the book looks at that mystery and also the aftermath of the mystery years later. What drew you to this book? So there was a lot of buzz around it, essentially. The author's an interesting one. She's written other books under a different name in a different genre. And then this is her sort of debut as a literary thriller writer, I guess you could call it. I was interested to see how that genre switch works and whether it's possible for an author to go from something that previously she wrote kind of very cheerful, romantic stuff. And and this is more bleak and it's it's fantastic. Well, had you read her, I think they were called Bonk Busters. <laughs> had you read those before? I hadn't, I have to say, but um, I, oh, I was also aware of them known as Bonk Busters, which is what intrigued me to see how you could go from Bonk Buster to Lighthouses. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> what did you love about the book? So, so many things I loved about the book. But the first thing I'll say is just the setting. Obviously, it's been a weird couple of years for everyone. And everyone's been kind of set in their, in their home or in their little vicinity. But this book really took me to a different place. It took me to the sea. And the writing was very evocative of this place. And I really felt like, particularly when I was listening to it, I was being whisked off to a different place that was different from my flat in London. Yeah, it was kind of perfect escapism. I think she did a really great job of capturing just this very like one-dimensional experience of living by the sea, at least for the wives anyway, of like being close but not being close enough. Was there any moment in the book that really stood out for you or that you felt really captured the essence of the book and the people listening that we can take a listen to yeah i mean i've picked a a little extract just from very close to the beginning of the book which is when the police or emergency services come to the lighthouse to try and figure out what the hell is going on and there's something about the language that's used as they go up the nine flights of this lighthouse and gradually realize that there's no one there i think it's pretty beautiful amazing let's hear a clip the clock on the wall has stopped at 8 45 what's this says the man with the moustache. The table is laid for a meal uneaten. Two places, not three. A knife and fork each, a plate waiting for food, two empty cups, salt and pepper, a tube of mustard and an ashtray, cleaned. I've no idea, he says, and it is less an answer than an admission of general fearful ignorance. The men glance to the ceiling, Nowhere to hide on a lighthouse, that's the thing. In every room, from bottom to top, it's two strides to the weight tube and two to the other side. Double doors access the service room on the 8th. Feasibly, the dead men could have been here. The cavity would have stopped the smell escaping. But as they have come to expect, it is deserted. They are running out of tower. Only the light left. It's as if those keepers were never here in the first place. That, or they climbed to the top and simply flew away. I thought that scene was particularly eerie. I listened to it about three times because there was something about the way 
Emma had described how everything was so meticulous and how actually they're quite particular and clean. Just the slightest thing being out of place was also quite mysterious and unsettling. As you say, little details like the number of plates that had been laid out for their dinner. It seems that something had happened mid-meal, but there were only two places set instead of three. So like little things Mm. like that that start kind of seeding clues about what might have happened. Is there anything that you would improve about the book or any moments that really just stood out that people should be aware of if they were to listen? Just before I kind of struggled to call it a thriller because it's really beautiful, it's really poetic. But I don't think you want to go into this book expecting action in every scene. And, you know, there being some kind of major revelation every five seconds. This probably isn't the one for you. It's kind of a more chilled out, relaxing listen or read. Yeah. Thanks, Robin. The Lamplighters by Emma Stone X was Robin's pick of the week. You can find it on the Audible website. And hoping to equally impress us with their pick is a special guest, author Natalie Morris. Hello, Natalie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Welcome to You Heard It Here First. This is your very first time. So can you briefly tell us a bit about what you do? Absolutely. So I am currently the senior lifestyle writer at metro.co.uk. And I'm also an author. My first book, Mixed Other, came out in April. Amazing. Can you tell us about the book you've chosen today? So I've chosen Careless by Kirsty Capes, which is an absolutely stunning debut novel by a really exciting author. And I already can't wait to see what she's going to do next. I absolutely devoured Careless. It's basically a story about a teenage girl growing up in the care system. And she has foster parents and it's about navigating all of the normal teenage stuff from intense crushes to the intensity of friendships and school and what you want to do with your life, as well as the additional complications that come with kind of being in care and what that's like. And it's, it's just really fascinating, but also like beautifully written. Like I'm really into just gorgeous sentences and gorgeous visceral language and Careless has that in buckets. So I was very happy reading that and I read it very quickly. Amazing. That sounds great. I really love the voice of the main character and it all sounds so real and so authentic and the observations she has on her life and those around her always sound so rich and vivid. Can you tell me why you've chosen this book in particular? It really spoke to me. My dad grew up in care, so it's something that I have a personal connection to. I think it's something that we don't necessarily talk about very often in the mainstream. And also, I think... For me, I was really obsessed with the depiction of that intensity of teenage friendships and just the way that that was described, almost like the romance of it and the love. And it was so nostalgic also because it was kind of set in the 90s. So like the cultural references and the music and the shows and the TV and the films that she's talking about just really made me feel like a kid. It really brought me back to a long, hot summer as a teenager and that intensity of of friendship, which I think is something you miss as an adult. So I think that was what I really enjoyed about it. Amazing. Yeah, I really love the summer vibes of it and it feels very appropriate for right now. Was there a standout moment in the book for you? There were a few, but one that really stuck with me was Bess and the love interest boy uh, have taken a kind of road trip to Brighton. And at the end of the day, there's just this passage where the two of them kind of run into the sea fully clothed and it's freezing cold and they're just looking into each other's eyes and it's their, it's their first kiss. 
which is a really powerful moment because up until this point, you don't really know what their relationship is. You don't know if it's going to develop because obviously they're teenagers and they're terrible at talking about their feelings. So I just love the intensity of that. And again, it just took me back to being that age, to being 15 or 16 and kind of having this this deep, intense feeling of a crush. And you can feel the freedom of being in the ocean and being freezing cold and feeling like you're the only two people in the world. I just thought that was really beautiful. Let's hear a clip. Come on, weirdo. My voice still squeaky and pathetic, but I'm already doing it. I can't stop. I pull off my boots and stand up on the pebbles, waiting for him to do the same. I suddenly feel very brave. We're going for a swim, I tell him. We sprint into the sea, losing sight of the pub and thrown back by the throb of waves as each one hits us like a slap in the face. I push myself into the cold. My dress absorbs the salty water and clings to my body. The parts I would rather hide suddenly on display. He unbuttons his shirt, throws it back onto the beach and wades in with his jeans still on, inhaling sharply as the cold water and grit hits the upper part of his body. He moves closer to me as the waves tug at his middle and then sways away again, all the while watching me watch him. And something momentous is about to happen, I can feel it. In my head there is a voice that might scream. I'm gasping for breath and he kisses me. His mouth is warm and there is salt on his lips. A proper kind of kiss. My first. I actually really enjoyed that section of the book because I remember vividly obsessing over my first kiss and Mm. thinking it was like the most important thing. And so I could definitely relate um, there of like, why isn't he calling me and what's going on? Yeah. So the author Kirsty Capes is only 27 years old and like Bess, she herself was in residential foster care and then supported lodgings from the age of two to 21. And the emotional crux of the books were based on her own upbringing. Did the novel give you a new outlook on the care system at all? Very much so. I didn't really know much about the care system at all before reading this and and the intricacies of it and how it works and the different ways it can look to be in care. Because I think we kind of have a very overly simplistic and singular kind of image of what that means. I feel like often it's really posited as this kind of extreme situation where it's all trauma and you're being shunted from home to home and maybe experiencing terrible things or abuse. And and I think that what this book does is show another side of it and what else it can look like and and the many different experiences that that exist within that system. And it kind of really showed up the, the failings. And I think that's probably one of the key points or that that Kirsty's trying to get across in terms of where it can be better and what these kids actually need and to kind of properly humanise the children who are living in these realities, who have these lived experiences. I would love to talk a little bit about your work because as you mentioned earlier that a lot of your work includes like race and social justice and there are themes of racism and bullying in the book. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts on the representation and the handling of race within this book. Do you think they handled that well? Yeah, of course. So Mixed Other is an exploration of multiraciality in the UK today. It's looking at what it means 
to be mixed, to have mixed heritage and all of the different nuances and joys and different lived experiences that that come with that. Um, So I think I was really impressed and also quite surprised to see so many references and to see it spoken about with such nuance and and so well from a a white author to kind of nail that so well is, is quite a rare thing, I think. Yeah, in the book, obviously, Bess, our main character's best friend, is Pakistani. And she really depicts the way that that community was demonised, particularly at the time in the 90s in Britain. And it's very visceral. And the way the main character responds to that and responds to the kind of cultural differences between the two of them and between the two families as well. And I thought that was really clever and, and really rare to see and something that I think is a really important dynamic within a lot of friendships. And I think there's a great kind of depiction of that relationship and, and how it plays out between the two main characters. So I, th- I think it was done really, really well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you today. Careless by Kirsty Cates was Natalie Morris's recommendation. Remember, you can find it on Audible's website where you can also find Natalie's book, Mixed Other. <laughs> Here on You Heard It Here First, we love to show you the best on offer from Audible. And I've got a great treat for you in this next section, as it's time to hear a clip from Audible Sessions. Audible Sessions is another podcast from the Audible team where they bring in some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases and exciting new projects. This week's featured clip comes from Mel Gedroish. Mel is a TV presenter, comedian and actress and is famously one half of the comedic duo Mel and Sue, who you might recognise from The Great British Bake Off. Mel talks to Holly Newson about her new book, The Best Things, and the process of writing her first novel. Let's hear a clip. You know, you're out there doing a show and you've got your family, you've got your gang, you've got your community. There is solid wall-to-wall banter. It's just such a laugh being in a group and I'm always in a group and I love that and then suddenly it's like okay (laughs) it's me in my own head and all the voices that reside within it a bit scary very lonely um hence going to the library actually because I started writing at home and I'm talking to you now in the pod which is our garden shed that we built and I thought right I'll get in the pod and I'll just that I'll make that the little writing area And I started and then I thought, "Mm, just need to put that wash on. Mm, Yeah, just need to. Oh, that that flower bed's very weedy. Oh, the kettle needs descaling. Oh, yes, I must clean out those wine bottles for recycling. I mean, you will do anything, I think, as a writer to sort of distract yourself. So, um, well, I certainly did. I got totally distracted. So I thought, right, now I've got to get on my bike and get down the library. So I did that for the winter of 2019. I love this Audible session because I could really relate to Mel on this. I get so distracted when I try to do absolutely anything. And it's always the mundane tasks that seem the most gripping. If you want even more Mel Gedroish, you can find her full Audible session on the Audible website or on the app where you can also find her book, The Best Things. And finally, it's time for our Listener's Corner, which means I get to hear from one of you about a book, podcast or play you love. This week's recommendation comes from Dan for Crimes Against Magic by Steve McHugh. Hi, Imriel. 
I constantly recommend Crimes Against Magic by Steve McHugh to anyone who asks as it is the entry to the Heliquin Chronicle series, which as a whole are completely amazing and I have often gone back to the start to listen to them all again. What is so great about this book and series, everything is real. Magic, gods and things that go bump in the night. But some things are not quite what you think. Crimes Against Magic starts out with Nate, the main character, a few years after losing his memory. We meet him trying to get by using what little of his natural abilities he has managed to gain control over. The beauty of Nate is how real he is, with him living in modern London with limited magical abilities. His character doesn't get lost beneath his powers. The book features constant flashbacks to the main character's past, which contribute and support the modern day storyline really well by setting out friendships, rivalries and history beyond certain events. In every book of the series, there is at least one scene that gives me goosebumps. That scene where if you were the bad guy, you would suddenly have a vision of Gandalf on a bridge in your head saying, run fool! You know that boss, I may have done something really stupid moment. It's these moments that bring me back to reading the series over and over. Wow, Dan, you're clearly really into this book. Thank you so much for sending in such a thoughtful review. And as a thank you, we're sending you two Audible credits to download anything you like from the Audible website or app. If Dan's review has made you curious, you can find Crimes Against Magic by Steve McHugh on Audible now, along with the other books in the series. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. In case you missed any of the titles we recommended today, here they are again. Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. You Are a Champion by Marcus Rashford and Carl Anker. The Worldship Humility by R.R. R. Hayward. The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex. Care Less by Kirsty Capes. Mixed Other by Natalie Morris. Mel Gedroish's Audible Session. And our listeners' corner was Crimes Against Magic by Steve McHugh. And in exciting news, we're now part of the Audiobookstagram family. Take a picture of your favourite or current listen and tag at YHIHFpod on Instagram. If Twitter is more your thing, follow us at YHIHFpod. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen, presented by me, Imriel Morgan, and featuring Robin Morgan-Bentley and Natalie Morris. Additional voices by Richard Hudson and Nazara Morgan. It was produced by Ellie Clifford and Amber Miller. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.